0: Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 to 20, and then through J.C. Rowe's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. This passage is singularly full of matter. It is a striking instance of that brevity of style, which is the peculiar characteristic of Mark's gospel. The baptism of our Lord, his temptation in the wilderness, the commencement of his preaching and the calling of his first disciples are related here in 11 verses. Let us notice in the first place, the voice from heaven, which was heard at our Lord's baptism. We read, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That voice was the voice of God the Father. It declared the wondrous and ineffable love which has existed between the Father and the Son from all eternity. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. John 3.35 It proclaimed the Father's full and complete approval of Christ's mission to seek and to save the lost. It announced the Father's acceptance of the Son as the Mediator Substitute and surety of the new covenant. There is a rich mine of comfort in these words for all Christ's believing members. In themselves and in their own doings, they see nothing to please God. They are daily aware of weakness, shortcoming, and imperfection in all their ways. But let them recollect that the Father regards them as members of his beloved Son Jesus Christ. He sees no spot in them. He beholds them as in Christ, clothed in his righteousness and invested with his merit. They are accepted in the beloved. And when the holy eye of God looks on them, he is well pleased. Let us notice in the second place, the nature of Christ's preaching. We read that he came saying, repent, and believe the gospel. This is that old sermon which all the faithful witnesses of God have continually preached from the very beginning of the world. From Noah down to the present day, the substance of their address has always been the same repent and believe. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders, when he left them for the last time, that the substance of his teaching among them had been repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20:21 20, He had the best of precedents for such teaching the great head of the church had given him a pattern repentance and faith were the foundation stones of Christ's ministry repentance and faith must always be the main subjects of every faithful minister's instruction we need not wonder at this if we consider the necessities of human nature all of us are by nature born in sin and children of wrath and all need to repent, be converted, and born again, if we would see the kingdom of God. All of us by nature are guilty and condemned before God, and all must flee to the hope set before us in the gospel and believe in it if we would be saved. All of us, once penitent, daily need stirring up to deeper repentance. All of us, though believing need constant exhortation to increased faith. Let us ask ourselves what we know of this repentance and faith. Have we felt our sins and forsaken them? Have we laid hold on Christ and believed? We may reach heaven without learning, or riches, or health, or worldly greatness, but we shall never reach heaven if we die impenitent and unbelieving a new heart, and a lively faith in a Redeemer are absolutely necessary for salvation. May we never rest until we know them by experience and can call them our own. With them, all true Christianity begins in the soul. In the exercise of them consists the life of religion. It is only through the possession of them that men have peace at the last. Church membership and priestly absolution Alone save no one, only those who repent and believe die in the Lord. Let us notice in the third place the occupation of those who were first called to be Christ's disciples. We read that our Lord called Simon and Andrew when they were casting a net into the sea, and James and John while they were mending their nets. It is clear from these words that the first followers of our Lord were not the great of this world. They were men who had neither riches, nor rank, nor power. But the kingdom of Christ is not dependent on such things as these. His cause advances in the world, not by might, nor my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, Zechariah four six. The words of Paul will always be found true. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. The church which began with a few fishermen and yet spread over half the world must have been founded by God. We must beware of giving way to the common notion that there is anything disgraceful in being poor and in working with our hands. The Bible contains many instances of special privileges conferred on working men. Moses was keeping sheep when God appeared to him in the burning bush. Gideon was thrashing wheat when the angel brought him a message from heaven. Elisha was plowing when Elijah called him to be a prophet in his place. The apostles were fishing when Jesus called them to follow him. It is disgraceful to be covetous or proud or a cheater, or a gambler, or a drunkard, or a glutton, or unclean. But it is no disgrace to be poor. The laborer who serves Christ faithfully is far more honorable in God's eyes than the nobleman who serves sin. Let us notice in the last place the office to which our Lord called his first disciples. We read that he said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The meaning of this expression is clear and unmistakable. The disciples were to become fishers of souls. They were to labor to draw men out of darkness into light and from the power of Satan to God. They were to strive to bring men into the net of Christ's church so that they might be saved alive and not perish everlastingly. We ought to mark this expression well. It is full of instruction. It is the oldest name by which the ministerial office is described in the New Testament. It lies deeper down than the name of bishop, elder, or deacon. It is the first idea which should be before a minister's mind. He is not to be a mere reader of forms or administrator of ordinances. He is to be a fisher of souls. The minister who does not strive to live up to this name has mistaken his calling. Does the fisherman strive to catch fish? Does he use... All means and grieve if unsuccessful, the minister ought to do the same. Does the fisherman have patience? Does he toil on day after day and wait and work on in hope? Let the minister do the same. Happy is that man in whom the fisherman's skill and diligence and patience are all combined. Let us resolve to pray much for ministers. Their office is no light one if they do their duty. They need the help of many intercessors from all praying people. They have not only their own souls to care for, but the souls of others. No wonder that Paul cries, Who is sufficient for these things? 2 Corinthians 2.16 If we never prayed for ministers before, let us begin to do this today. That is the end of Raoul's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, are we aware and confident that there is nothing in ourselves that pleased a holy God other than being in Jesus Christ through faith? Jesus, who fully pleased his Father. Second, have we felt our sins and forsaken them? Have we laid hold of Christ and believed in him? Third, do we have a high view of ourselves and our positions, and do we look down on others? Fourth, are we fishers of men seeking to win others to Christ with diligence and patience? And five, Do we pray for our pastors?